Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place South Tampa campus. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Today, I really felt like bringing you a, a, a word that if, I, if the Lord would let me, I'd preach it every single Sunday, uh, and we're going to go to Romans 6 today. We're going to read a lot of scripture, and today is going to be about exposing the persona of sin. We're going to unmask the true enemy. How many of you have seen that meme online where it's the guy from Scooby-Doo, uh, the investigator guy, he's blonde or whatever, and it says, let's see who's who's the man behind the mask, and, it's the other, and he pulls off the other mask, and it's him in the other mask, you know, antichrist. That, that is not true. A bunch of churches share that. No, that is the opposite, the, antith- the antithesis of what Christ has done, because that's who you used to be. It's not who you are. You were your own, your own worst enemy, but you are no longer, because you cannot undo the finished work of Jesus Christ You cannot change yourself back into the old creature. No matter how old you act, you cannot undo what he has done. Are you with me? Okay, you're going to get with me eventually. This is the truth. Sin. I'm going to define it for you. Sin. Pastor Abraham has been talking about sin. Pastor Jimmy this morning is talking about sin in Tampa. The Lord is speaking through many of the campus pastors about this topic. But I'm, I'm coming in to expose the true enemy, the persona of sin. Sin is not just an action you can do. It is way more than that. It is an entity that wants to control you. It's not just an action. It's an entity. Many of you have been through Jesus Lab. Some of you have been in it right now. This is like Jesus Lab on a Sunday morning. This is what it is. Here we are, all right? So sin is not just an action. It's an entity. I've been told, Pastor Abraham and I were talking about this last night. I've been told by ministers in the area that I overemphasize the personification of sin. That I'm making too much of it. And I need to focus more on missing the mark, the action of sin. And I always respond the same way. I say, okay, well, why then in Romans 6 alone, the sin chapter, it's used 17 times. The word sin is used 17 times. And only once it's known as an action. 16 times it's a noun. So the Bible emphasizes sin as an entity, a person, place, or thing, 16 out of 17 times. And the church emphasizes the action even though it's only mentioned once in that chapter. And in fact, Romans 6 through 8, I believe it's 38 times the word is used. Don't quote me on this, but it's around 33 or 34 times it's a noun. So I think we're actually unbalanced the other way. I don't think we talk about the entity enough. I think we assign the action, say, stop doing the bad things. Don't do the bad thing. Here's the action. You missed the mark again. Well, what if we just explain why you keep missing the mark? I know why you have that habitual sin. I know why you keep messing up. It's because you don't recognize the true enemy. That is exactly why. I'm telling you the truth. And today, we're going to go through Romans 6 and 7, maybe some of 8. And I'm going to just point out the, the explicit personification of a sin. Okay? And then I'm actually going to end this sermon with a spoken word poem I wrote about this. So... This is very South Tampa today. <laughs> I'm playing new instruments. I'm giving a spoken word poem. I just come here to step into Abraham's flow. I'm like, I'm going to be submitted to this, this environment. I am. All right, so just for some context, you know, Romans talks about uh, sin. The wages of sin is death, 
right? The gift of God is eternal life, all of that. And it talks about how you need to have the faith of Abraham, actually, in uh, Romans 4. Romans 5 talks about because of that faith, we have peace with God. Did you know you're at peace with God? Did you know he's at peace with you? He is at peace with you. Every time you feel like you're not at peace with God, he's still at peace with you because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He is at peace with you. He's not worried about you. He's not, you're not stressing him out. He's not like, oh, Gabriel, did you see what they did? They did it again. I had no idea. So glad I paid for all these wretched sinners. Man, no, he's not shocked. He's not losing his ability to love you because of your actions. And our actions are directly related to our maturity in revelation of what he has done. I'm going to say that again. Our actions are directly related to our maturity in revelation of what he has done. If you do not grow in your revelation, if you don't mature in your revelation of Christ and him crucified, you will continue to keep acting the way you're acting. So many people have been in church 50, 30, 40 years, and they do the same crap they did 50, 30, 40 years ago. It's because our churches are woefully lacking illumination enlightenment, revelation of what the cross has actually done. And we're blaming you for your actions and not putting our, our ammo in the right place. We're emphasizing the action. Because how many of you have heard sin taught? It's just to miss the mark. How many of you have heard that? That's all sin is. It means to miss the mark. Yeah, that's what that word means. But it is used in a noun form way more. 80, the math, quick math, 88% more of the time, Okay. Then as a noun, then it is as an action. Yet we focus on the action. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I grew up that way. But sin is not just an action. It's an entity that wants to control you. Let's read Romans 6 because Romans 5 talks about having peace with God. And the end of Romans 5 talks about how as death came to all men through Adam, life is available to all men through Christ. And though Adam sinned once and a bunch of people died, a bunch of people sinned and Christ obeyed once, and now all those people will be made alive. And so it talks about how the gift of salvation does not compare to the trespass. Okay? So I have a bottom line theological position. I don't, I don't need to agree with <laughs> a lot of people on anything. I don't need to agree with our campus pastors on much. There's a few things that are set in stone. Here's one of them. I refuse to elevate the fall of Adam above the rise, the rise of Christ. In my thoughts, in my perception, I refuse to say that Adam's fall has more effect on me today than Christ's resurrection. I refuse. And much of the church teaches the opposite. You're, a fallen, you're still fallen. We're in a fallen world. I am not of this world. I don't know about you, but I got saved out of the dominion of darkness and into the dominion of light. I was actually saved. It actually happened. I was rescued. I've been redeemed. It already happened. Well, but your actions, you know, say otherwise. I'm like, my actions are catching up to my belief. And the more I believe it, the action just happens. It's called fruit of repentance. It's called bearing the fruit of repentance. I have repented. I received Jesus, and now I'm bearing the fruit. You know, fruit takes time. Fruit doesn't grow like that. You, it's got to take time. All right. So all of that is the introduction to Romans 6. Are you guys okay? Yeah? Let's refuse to elevate the fall of the first Adam above the resurrection of the last. Let's refuse that. Let's say the resurrected Christ, say it together, the resurrected Christ has more effect on me today than the fall of Adam. 
End of story. <laughs> Come on. Amen. That's a good faith declaration. You want to make some declarations? Make that one. All right. This is what it says. Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we, I'm reading out of the ESV, by the way, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. God forbid. Absolutely not. Out upon the suggestion. What a terrible thought. I just ran you through a bunch of different translations of that verse. Okay. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The message paraphrase says, don't you know that you've left, left sin's zip code, basically? I'm paraphrasing the paraphrase. How can you live in the house that's been condemned? You can't live in a house that's been condemned. You cannot live. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we live there anymore? That's what the message says. If we left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we pretend that we still live there? It doesn't make sense. You've left the country. You're not in Sinville. You're in Dependenceville. <laughs> Good book. You should check it out. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? Are you a stupid? Are you ignorant? No, are ye stupid is an actual translation. It's an old English translation. It says, are ye stupid? Are you ignorant? The voice translation says, yeah, are ye stupid? Yeah. Uh, the voice says, did someone forget to tell you? That's many of us right there. Did someone forget to mention? Do you not know that all of us, say all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, say in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You don't need this revelation for heaven. People put that verse off into heaven, that we too one day will walk in the newsletter. I don't need a letter to tell me that that's what's going to happen. This is an encouragement that I have already died to sin, and I am already able to walk in newness of life. So many of us are forgiven, but don't even believe we're free. I'm forgiven. Jesus, forgive me. Thank you, God. I'm forgiven, but I'm not free. Yes, you are. What you are is ignorant. That's my way to say ignorant. You ignorant. You ignorant of the truth. Jesus actually sets you free. Who the Son sets free is free some of the time. What? Someone says. Uh, I'm checking with Pastor Heather up here. Indeed. Ah, oh, sorry. Sorry. That was the Church of America translation. Sorry. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Hmm. Okay, so... We too might walk in newness of life. When? Now or in heaven? Or both? <laughs> hey, amen. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Has he resurrected? Did it already happen? Have you been seated with him in heavenly places? Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. Okay, so don't pass this off. Till the res resurrection day, he is the resurrection and the life. This is the same argument Martha had with him. When he's talking about Lazarus, don't you believe that, you know, I am? And she says, I believe on the last day. He says, no, I am the day. Whoa. You're worried about the last day. I am the person called day. I am the, the light. I am the resurrection and the life. I am right now. Not I was or I will be. I am. If you've been united with him 
and a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know. Please say we know. This church will know. I can't control other churches. This church will know. We know. The resting place knows. That our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm going to read it again. This is Romans 6, verse 6, the sixth book of the New Testament, sixth chapter, sixth verse, 666. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nunca, nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Has anyone forgotten to tell you you are not a slave to sin? I mean, have you, have you, have you forgotten to tell yourself? Maybe you haven't reminded yourself lately. I'm here to expose the persona of sin and tell you and remind you you've been crucified with him co-crucified, crucified in union with Christ. It is the Greek word ko. It's in the transliteration. It's soon, S-O-O-N, okay? S-U-N is the way it's spelled. S-O-O-N is the writing. Anyway, it is the prefix that means perfectly one. You and Jesus were not like this on the cross. You and Jesus were like this. You are one. I just believe all of Jesus' prayers get answered. I just think, and he prayed that we would be one with him. I just, I think all of his prayers get answered. I don't think there's a problem or breakdown in communication there. <laughs> okay. So we know our old self was crucified with him. That's past tense. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Past tense. Galatians 6 says the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. Past tense. I have died. I am dead. Colossians 3 verse 3 says you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. It's already happened, so why are you trying to kill yourself? Why are you dying daily? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. It's antichrist. It's opposite what the God-man has done. I'm just here to remind you, if you've heard this before, it's a good refresher. Amen? Come on, because this is going to expose the persona of sin. It says, so that, that happened so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, because we were. Come on, somebody. Don't get mad at the world for sinning. They're enslaved. They're enslaved to sin. The person plays and thing of sin. So don't get mad at them. Offer them a way out. Offer them the rescue plan you were given. Come on, sign them up for the rescue plan. <laughs> right? Just like Pastor Abraham was saying, like, you don't really got to tell them that they're in sin. Like, most of the world knows that they're messed up. Most of the world knows that they, they've hurt people. I've met very few people, and there's been a couple, very few who would admit that they've, done, they've never done something wrong. Like, no, I've never hurt anyone. I've never lied. I've never, like, they're lying to themselves right then. You know what I mean? But most people know, right? And I understand there's a season of the church where it's like we need to make sure everybody knows the depth of their sin. I want you to know the height of his saving grace. And then you can measure that against the depth of your sin. But let's start with the Savior before we start with the sin. Okay, the action of sin. But today, I'm speaking to believers who need to understand there's an entity trying to control you that you are no longer enslaved to. Verse 7, it says, for one who has 
died has been set free from sin. Say that with me. Set free from sin. One more time. Set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a command, not a suggestion. So you believing that you're still alive to sin, that it's still propensity, you have a sin nature, is disobedience to the word of God. It is. It's sinful to not consider yourself dead to sin. That's a sin. I mean, this is the ESV. It's pretty clear. It's not like, it's not a paraphrase. It's not even a dynamic equivalent, if you know what I'm saying. Like, this is a direct equivalent translation. It says, Reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, just like Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God. Think of yourself this way. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. So you need to change the way you think about you and your relationship to sin. That's what this is saying. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Did you hear that? Reign, R-E-I-G-N. Sin is personified as a king here. All right, I hope you're starting to see the noun. Don't let sin reign as king. The Passion Translation, Abraham preached on it. Sin is a dethroned monarch. Come on. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Did you hear that? It ha sin has passions. You thought those were your, the passions of your flesh. No, they are not. You're fighting the passions of your flesh when Galatians 5.24 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has crucified the flesh along with its lusts and desires. Along with its passions. Check me. Galatians 5.24. Okay? I could preach this ten times with my eyes closed. All right? I have no notes. I have a Bible and my spoken word right here. All right? This is throughout. We haven't given enough credit. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. How many of you have blamed yourself for feeling like temptation and sin? You're like, that's my desire. How many? Raise your hand. Boldly. Raise your hand. Yeah. I have to. My hand is up. That is a lie. This says the opposite. Sin wants to impart to you its passions. It's a spirit trying to give you its passions. And then it gives you its passion and tries to convince you that they're your passions. Come on. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. I think about a guitar. Like, don't give your, your hands, your heart, your mind to sin to play like a fiddle. You know what I mean? Don't hand it over as instruments or tools. The word, the Greek word here is actually like, like um, uh, physician's instruments, like, you know, actual medical instruments, right? Tools. Don't give your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Come on. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We need to slow down for a second here. Did you hear that? It says don't present your, your members. What are your members? Say some members, your body parts, maybe your, your mind, your eyes, your, your emotions, your hands, like all of that. You have members, right? Do not present your members to sin as an instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourself to God this way, as those who have already been brought from death to life. So much of the church presents themselves to God in need of mercy as those who are still in death. 
So much of the church goes to God as a wretch, goes to God as depraved, goes to God as someone who has a sin nature. It does not say present yourself that way. It says present yourself as those who have already been brought from death to life. Let me help you. I'm about to ruin your repentance. Like, that rock is great. The rock story is great. But I will ruin your repentance with one thought right now. If you don't go to him as those who have already been brought into the light and already cleansed, you have no opportunity to repent in the new covenant. If you go as dirty and wretched, that is not an appropriate way to approach the throne of grace. And he has mercy for our ignorance. Amen. He's not, like, kicking you out. Right? I'm just saying, you're not truly repenting until you present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. If you don't start as one who is fully alive, fully sanctified, fully set apart, fully free, and then you say, Jesus, I did something that was so unlike me. Thank you for your forgiveness. You're not repenting in the right way. I did it again, God. I'm such a wretch. He goes, no, you're not. Can we start over, please? I can't even help you right now because you're condemning yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're condemning yourself. I'm not giving you that condemnation. You are. And guess what? He'll honor your choices. He's not going to break your agreements for you. you got to break your ungodly agreements and agree with the word of God. Can we agree that the next time we present ourselves to God for any reason, it's as those who have been brought from death to life. Amen? Come on. I'm already out of deathville. I'm living in Lifeville, all right? I'm, I'm over here in happy, joy, blissville, all right? And even if I sin, because sin is an if-not-win situation, if I sin, I go to the Lord and I say, ha, ah, I have no idea why I did that. That was so unlike me. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for that 2,000 years ago. I bless you. I, re I receive your forgiveness because it's already there in my bank account. I'm writing the check on what you put in because you paid for this in advance. And I don't even know why I did that. That is not who I am. Something must be whispering to me. There must be some other persona coming and lying to me and telling me that would have been good for me. That this is a passion of my heart. That this is a desire. This is something that would be good. Are you seeing how this exposes the entity of sin, and helps you fight the right battles. If you're turning your guns inward, you're going to lose every time. Because guess what? <laughs> it's you. <laughs> There's no way to win against yourself when you are putting yourself against yourself. Because one of yourselves is dying. And you think, that's holy. No. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, die to yourself daily. It says, consider yourself dead. Now and forevermore. You could think I'm making this up, or you could read your Bible. It's your choice, all right? <laughs> verse 14. Are you getting? This is like the game changer. It says, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. How many of you have been taught sin has no dominion over you? I mean, really. How many people are saying sin has no dominion over the church? <laughs> right? It's laughable because the opposite is taught. You know, sin has no domain. Sin has no dominion. Do any of you feel like, oh, my God, I might sin any second right now, like right now, in the presence of God? Like, oh, no, I might. Do you feel like that? Anybody, like, struggling against, like, you know, ooh, that temptation looks really nice right now. I really want to hurt somebody. I really want to lust. I really want. Anybody feeling that right now? Why? Because you're in the manifest presence of God. Guess what? You're always there, but you've only learned to tap in here. I'm trying to teach you to tap in at 1.30. At 4.30 today, at 9.30 tonight, when you wake up tomorrow, I wake up clean, y'all. 
I go to sleep clean. I go to sleep celebrating. Like, oh, oh this is so great living with you. And then, <sighs> I get kicked in the head a couple times by my kids while I'm sleeping. And then I wake up like, oh, I'm still clean. I'm still free. Nothing has dominion over me. King Jesus is the only reign in my life. The only thing reigning over me is King Jesus. Sin has no dominion over you. Look at your neighbor. Say, sin has no dominion over you. None. Come on, tell her the truth. Tell your neighbor the truth. Do it again. Sin has no dominion over you. Come on. Someone say it to Eric. Eric say it to someone. Nobody looked at him. Someone say it to him. Sin has no dominion over you. Sin has no dominion over you. Are we going to agree with the word of God or are we going to remain ignorant? We agree. Verse 15, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Stupid. Again, stupid. <laughs> By no means. Out upon the suggestion. Arthur S. Way's translation says, out upon the suggestion. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Get that thought out of here. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? This is what answers the question. Well, then why do Christians continue to sin? Because you are presenting yourself as an obedient slave. And whereas before you had no choice, you were a slave, now you get to choose your master. Now you get to choose who you obey. Before, you didn't have a choice. Now you actually have a choice. I'm just removing your sin excuses right now. I don't have any choice. It's just the sin nature. Paul struggled with his flesh. Paul wrote this chapter too, guys. Like, hello. Okay. You get to choose whom you're going to obey. And whoever you obey, you're a slave to. So quit enslaving yourself to what you've been set free from. That's the idea. And you're like, well, if I didn't want to be enslaved, I wouldn't enslave myself. Okay. Help me, help me, help me, help me. How many people in the history of the world said, I'd like to be enslaved, please? Anybody? I mean, how many? Uh, sign me up for the slavery program. Please enslave me. No. So you're wondering, oh, it was just my desire. No. It's passions and desires. Come on. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, past tense, have been have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, he's talking about the Roman church. He's talking to them personally. But let it be said of us as well that we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we are committed. That's what he's talking about, the teaching you just referenced. Sin has no dominion over you. You're set free from sin. No longer enslaved to sin. You died with Christ. You're one with him in his resurrection. You can walk into his life. That's the standard of teaching. You become obedient to the heart of that. Guess what? Sin is like the worst idea ever. It's just dumb. And you'd be like, yeah, of course. No, like it presents itself and you go, ugh. Like you start believing this way, temptation comes like, ugh, no thank you. We used to do that thing and it was gross. It killed me. No thank you. Come on. You become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, here it is, set Free from sin. It says it again. Let's say it together. Set free from sin and having become slaves of righteousness, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thanks, Paul. You just called us dumb. It's all right. So 
He's giving natural examples because our minds, the early church, the Roman church still was thinking in the natural realm. And so are we in many ways. But I, but I, but I, but I, yeah, but Christ, but Christ, but Christ, but Christ. It's no longer I. You're like, I'm my own worst enemy. Well, how is it no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, and I'm still my own worst enemy? How is that happening? It isn't. It's called deception. <laughs> You're not, you don't have a sin nature. You have a sin habit. And habits can be broken. People stop drinking coffee. I don't know how, but they do. Somehow, they do that. Have you heard of a person, one of these people? They stop drinking coffee? Come on. If homeboy can stop drinking coffee, you can stop sinning. Because it's just a habit you need to break. Hello? Come on. <sighs> For just as you were once Present, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading more to law, more, law, leading to more lawlessness. Sorry. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So, just like you used to be a really good sinner, be a really good saint. I'm a bad sinner. I'm a very bad sinner. I'm really bad at sinning. I don't get away with it. It doesn't feel right. If I do it, I never want to do it again. It just doesn't work in here anymore. I used to be a really professional Christian and a good sinner because I was told I would be, and I put my faith in that. And then the Bible taught this to me. Nobody taught this to me. The Bible taught this to me. This passage taught this to me. And I got set free by the word of God. Me, my Bible, and Jesus, okay? Set free. And then I became a really bad sinner. It doesn't work. It's not fun. I have lost all my taste for sin. I lost it. You're like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's called the fight of faith. It's the fruit of repentance. I'm just trying to give you a picture of your future. <laughs> Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Right? What was the fruit of that life? For the end of those things is death, right? Only a death sentence. But now you have been, say it with me, set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You know, a slave doesn't get to choose what they do. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. He chooses what I do. He chooses how long I work. He chooses where I go. I'm here because Jesus told me to be here. Like that, I'm a slave of God. Absolutely. The word is doulos. It's loving servant. You become slaves of God. The fruit you get now leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say amen. amen. Sin pays a wage. God gives a gift. So quit working for the dethroned monarch. Quit trying to earn something from sin, the entity of sin, and present yourself to God. As one who has been brought from death to life, because you have. All right? We're not faking it till we're making it. We're faith in it because he made it. T-shirt. <laughs> Half the stuff I say, I'm like, T-shirt, T-shirt. I need merch. All right. <laughs> I'm going to close in just a minute because I, I see that look on your face. It's about lunchtime. All right? Or maybe that's just my stomach talking to me. But 
In Romans 7, it says, do you not know, brothers, going on to Romans 7, verse 1, do you not know, brothers, I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Everybody following so far? And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Got it? The law of marriage. Likewise. Say likewise. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, hello, <laughs> while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were living, sinful passions, when, past tense, keep context, Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? So that the law is sin? By no means. Out upon the suggestion. Ridiculous. You stupid. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, listen to this, listen to the persona of sin. Sin, seizing an opportunity. Come on. Actions don't seize opportunities. People do. Places do. Things do. Right? Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. How do you put that in an action form? It, it, it doesn't, it's a noun. It's a noun. Sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Say, I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring life, or bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Come on. I'm just reading it to you. It's clear. It was sin. And I've lost my place. There it is. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. The law was never meant to make you righteous. It was meant to expose sin, the entity, not your actions, the entity. We teach that the, the church teaches that the law is here to prove our sinfulness. No, the law is here to prove that there's an entity called sin. That is what that says. Come on. I know, it's opposite of what you've been told, but that's okay. Uh, so in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Wait a minute. What you talking about, Polly? <laughs> What's going on here? You just said we're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin is no dominion over us. We're, not, we're slaves of God. We're slaves of righteousness. But I'm of the soul to understand. Who is the I? The I is the person who died under the law. When the commandment came, I died and sin came alive. I died. So now you're hearing from a dead man. This is called a prosopopoeia. 
It's a Greek literary device where a person would put on a mask and play the part of a dead and gone character. It's a Greek literary device. It was common. The Church of Rome had no problem with this. The Church of Rome was not like, oh, Paul was sold under sin. Paul was enslaved to sin. Paul was of the flesh, so it's okay. It's okay. You're still of the flesh. You still did fleshly things. No, they were not thinking that. They were like, the scene has changed. The atmosphere is changing now because it's a new scene. Paul puts on the mask and gives a stunning prosopopoeia. He says, the law is spiritual, but I, dead man, am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. Same guy wrote, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So which is it? This isn't Paul speaking. This is Paul playing the part of someone trying to be right by doing righteous things, trying to live under the law trying to attain righteousness through the law. This is what it looks like to attempt to gain your own righteousness by doing the right things. Are you all okay? Yes? Okay, I know. You're like, whoa. (laughs) I'm just dropping a heavy, heavy bomb on you and letting the spirit work it out, all right? So I'm going to tie a bow on it in a second. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Hold on. Slow down. Nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Are, is your, like, this, is that flesh? What is it? Okay, because these are not flesh-colored. These are gray jeans, and I can see your ankle. So there, I can see it. There, That's flesh. I just poked your flesh, right? Is there anything good that dwells in your flesh right now? What is it? The Holy Spirit. Oh, so did Paul just lose the Holy Ghost? Or is this not Paul speaking in the first person? The author is not always the speaker. Do you understand? I went to English class. Just because someone uses first person doesn't mean he's talking about their person. Come on. It's a rhetorical device. It's like, turn your brain on when reading your Bible. Please. <laughs> Please. Okay. That wasn't for you. That's for those other Christians over there. All right. <laughs> Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Have any of you had a desire to do what is right and carried it out? Okay, then this can't be yours. This cannot be talking about you. Because it says, I have the desire, but I'm unable to do anything that's right. I cannot believe the church wears this thing as if we are the Roman 7 man talked about here. I cannot believe it. It is ridiculous to me. You're telling me that the church, no one in the church has ever done a single thing right. Never, never, not even once, because that is what it says here. It's emphatic for a reason. It's a play. He put on a mask. He's making a point. (laughs) I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So right there, why are we blaming the church for her sins when it's no longer the church doing it, but the one who dwells in them? So don't even get mad at the church for sinning. If we're sinners saved by grace, you can't even get mad at me. It's not me. Sin. Do you hear the sin excuses and how ridiculous this is? Anybody? No? Okay. Yes. Okay. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Try that out next time. Next time you hurt your, your brother, your sister. Sorry. wasn't me. It was sin. Dwells in here. Can't control it. 
Anytime I just, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. So I find, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Wait a minute. What? That's not even, the church has even spoken about that. You don't delight in the law in your inner being. You hate the law of God. Come and repent and weep at the altar and prove it. And make my insecurities go away as a preacher because I made you cry. That's what's happening. So you know, that's actually what's happening. <laughs> Exposing the entity, y'all. Just pulling the mask off. And it ain't you. It's a spirit. Okay? But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wait a minute. I thought sin had no dominion over us. I thought we were no longer enslaved to sin. Remember the context, yeah? Are we okay? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Is Paul really asking that who is the deliverer? Is there a Savior out there? I, the Apostle Paul, write in holy writ. Is there anyone who can deliver me? Anyone at all? Is he meaning that sincerely? No. Then he takes the mask off. Who, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Mask off, prosopopoeia, over. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's saying, when I was in the flesh, I served sin. But now my true self serves the law of God. Is that not what it says? We've been so confused about this. There is therefore, Romans 8 verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit, the, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hello. Stop stopping at the end of the chapter and thinking you're a theologian, all right? Read all the way through the end of the thought. <laughs> that was unkind. Anyway, this is going on the podcast. I forgot for a second there. <laughs> Other people might hear this. Yikes. Okay. Can you see how over and over and over sin is being exposed as an entity, a persona, a, a thing, a place, a person that's trying to control you? And you see how foolish it is to fight against yourself and to blame yourself as your own worst enemy? Can you see that? Let's turn our guns on the real enemy, the one that Jesus already defeated, and claim his victory, not our troubles. Come on. Not our trials, but his triumph. I'm going to close with reading this spoken word poem. I wrote this, I don't even know. It had to be like 2014 years ago. I've only shared it a couple times in public, and I'm going to share it with you. And hopefully you can join in with me because I just basically stole Romans 6, 7, and a little bit of 8 and put it into a spoken word poem. Okay, I'm not a spoken word artist, but I've always kind of wanted to be a rapper. And if I rapped... This is what it would sound like, <laughs> okay? I'm not like a beat rapper. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a poet. I'm his poetry. I, I'm a wordsmith. Even the way I preach, I try to bring you to the point. Anyone catch that? That was a balance. Okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> he said, hey, all right, here we go. So this is called Set Free From Sin. And I have to read it because it's really long, so forgive me. I am set free from sin. There is no longer a battle to win. Now temptation is without and a champion is within. 
not of myself. This death and new life was all his doing. Now health has come to me, and I am currently set free from sin. Once controlled, pimped out, strung out, wrung out every time I tried to fight it, every time I attempted to deny it, I was in bondage to a horrible captor. Through the law, it kidnapped me, killed me, deceived me, sold me, told me I would never be set free from sin. But the blood of Jesus spoke a better word, saying you're co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-seated, and a co-heir with him. I am no longer living. Christ is reviving dead things through me as a vessel of mercy, used for his glory, filled with him who is full of the deity, emptied out so he can dwell inside of me. This is the reason my destiny is to be set free from sin. And now a beloved one is my complete and perfect identity. Do you not know? Are you not informed? You, church, are a part of this beautiful new covenant. Somebody probably told you. Someone probably said you're just a sinner and you'll have to wait until you're dead in order to be set free and live a life that is not full of dread. Friends, that takes the crown off of Jesus and coronates death instead. I refuse to believe death is my savior and not him whose blood ran red. I know what you're thinking. I know what you'd probably say. That sounds great in theory, but nobody really lives that. Wait a minute. I agree. All have sinned. And for that reason, we must be baptized into his death. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We were buried with him so we can walk in newness of life and be, I'm going to say it again, set free from sin. Jesus paid too high a price for us to cop out now, to ignore his word now, to choose a partial gospel now, to enslave ourselves with philosophy and empty sayings now. The Roman seven man is one sold under sin, but you and I, friend, have been redeemed and made new again. The old me is dead and gone. The new me is standing strong and declaring all day long that I have been Set free from sin. Yes, the old man died when you were co-crucified, so leave him buried and dry instead of puppeteering corpses and believing a lie. You're cradling cadavers and talking to the dead. Wouldn't you rather your yoke be light and speak with life instead? Stop shouting at things that can't hear you. Stop commanding the dead man not to come near you. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. You'll only shadow box and go home tired. Sin is no longer your husband. Oh, yes, the Bible is clear. Your old ball and chain, that was sin and fear. But a death has taken place, a legal requirement erased, and we are free to marry another. Believe the word that the body of sin has been killed by a nail in collision. This is in your Bible, too. Don't look at me as if this is new. The truth has always been the truth. I have been, and so have you, set free from sin. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place, South Tampa Campus. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.